All right, the latest from Afghanistan. Now, this is from the Taliban. The Taliban has released a statement saying, initial reports say 13 persons have been killed, 52 wounded. We strongly condemn this gruesome incident and will take every step to bring the culprits to justice. That is the statement from the Taliban this morning. Again, from the Taliban, so take it for what it's worth. All we know is there's been two explosions with multiple casualties. And uh, as I said, we'll wait until we get uh, more news and we'll pass it along as soon as we get it. In the meantime, though, we can talk about it's being played out on the campaign trail now. Uh, Justin Trudeau was asked about it. Um, Aaron O'Toole, Jagmeet Singh have all had comments about it and I've played them for you. But in terms of foreign policy, when we talk about a federal election campaign, how often have you heard foreign policy mentioned? It's a big deal in the States when they campaign. It's a big component of what they talk about. We don't typically bring it to the forefront when we're talking about federal election campaigns in this country. Global affairs rarely enters into the discussion, but uh, this week's events in Afghanistan is changing that, at least for this campaign in some respects, and shows that maybe we should be paying more attention to our foreign policy. So we're going to talk about that now with Hugh Siegel, who is a Matthews Fellow in Global Public Policy at Queen's University School of Policy Studies and a senior advisor um, on these kinds of issues, has worked with government before. Hugh, thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate you joining us. Delighted to be here. So when we take a look at what's going on, they're just removing the chaos of today um, and the past week, but talking about how we got here, um, we've got Canadian troops back in Kabul, first time in seven years, but after we left, we left. There was really no involvement. Like When we talk about foreign policy in this country, we're talking about it today because of the events of today, but in the lead-up for the past seven years and well before that, foreign policy never really seems to enter into it. Maybe we're seeing an example of why it should. Well, I think you're right, and I think the problem with the, um, with the illusion that every election in Canada should only be about domestic issues is that the world has changed pretty radically, and um, in terms of uh, uh, more powerful China, which is more aggressive, uh, more adventuresome Russia, which is prepared to invade neighboring countries, the notion that we do not discuss foreign policy, I think, is both naive and unconstructive, and frankly, it lets all our political leaders of any affiliation off the hook uh, when they make their proposals, as they should, for domestic issues of importance, energy, tax, health care, etc. They should also be putting forward very explicit proposals for how they would either sustain or change our foreign or defense policy going forward, and that should be part of the debate uh, for which they're held accountable during campaigns. For example, if you think about the circumstance in Afghanistan before today's tragic explosions. The bottom line is that the President of the United States, on the 24th of April, made it perfectly clear that the United States would be withdrawing all its forces at the end of August. That gave Canada four months to prepare and plan to remove the close to 2,000 um, and translators and interpreters who served with the 40,000 Canadian forces who had served over 12 years uh, in different rotations in that Afghanistan campaign. And our Prime Minister, to his credit, had said, well, we are prepared to make room for 20,000 mm-hmm. Afghan refugees. Well, that's 2,000 um, of, uh, of the translators, plus, I guess, members of their family. But what did we do between the 24th of April and now 
to get that airlift, if you wish, going and underway? I think the answer is probably not enough. And that's the sort of thing we need to discuss in a campaign. I'm not, I'm not attributing the problem to the politics of any particular political party. I'm really saying that foreign policy really counts. And it's really important that our leaders be held accountable on those issues. Hugh, would it be fair to say, it seems to me, as someone who's watched this for a while, when it comes to Canada's foreign policy, we have benefited and quite possibly taken advantage of the fact that we have a very close relationship with uh, the global superpower, and we basically are very reliant on them when it comes to foreign policy, and we don't really feel we have a need to sort of exert ourselves on the world stage and we have to understand you know where we fit in on the world stage but at the same time it seems like we just sort of rely on the u.s to do a lot of this stuff well not only do we rely on them but part of our defense and foreign policy assumes that we are not going to have to step up and make investments in time or money or capacity to ever operate in a world in which the americans are not the dominant force and from time to time Historically, the Americans have gone into more of an isolationist point of view. Uh, they did so between World War One and World War Two, um, and the problem with a vacuum of power, if the Americans decide they don't want to do worldwide policing anymore, they want to spend their efforts, if you wish, on their own domestic issues and their own domestic economic and social uh, priorities, that doesn't mean that their absence does does uh, is 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 without risk to Canada yeah. because the Chinese in Asia, uh, the Russians in Eastern Europe, uh, the Iranians, uh, the North Koreans all have very aggressive plans to fill any vacuum that's created by the Americans uh, in ways that are supportive of their domestic interests, which are not consistent with Canada's domestic interests. We want a world where there is uh, open markets. We want a world where democracy and freedom have, uh, have uh, a prospect. In the last little while, the authoritarian countries have been making great progress and have been increasing in number, whereas the democracies have been reduced. So there's a price to pay for not stepping up. Our armed forces, who do a tremendous job, are hardworking, wonderful people, some of the most professional in the world. They just don't have enough capacity. They don't have enough numbers. At 60,000 uh, to 60 to 70,000 in total, of which only 16,000 are combat ready, um, we're not really able to deploy as we have to, not necessarily for military purposes explicitly, but for humanitarian purposes, for uh, peacekeeping purposes, in support of our allies, uh, as we would expect their support for us. So we really have to have that debate because the amount we are now investing for a country our size and our geography just doesn't get the job done. When we talk about, you know, making it part of the national discussion and certainly um, the national political discussion, how much of it is on the Canadian public? I mean, politicians typically respond if they hear from the public that this is important and I'll be voting based on this. Um, it, sure. it, so does it fall to the voter to say, hey, listen, we're not happy with the way we're conducting ourselves on the world stage and we want to hear some better plans, we want some strategy? I mean, do we need to force the issue? I think it's a combination of a, a little bit of um, 
self-satisfaction on the part of Canadians. You know, we're geographically away from the rest of the world. We don't really face any tactical threats from anyone. But what's becoming more and more apparent, you know, in um, some uh, some many many months ago now, the uh, our international uh, bio intelligence operation was shut down. And which meant that we didn't get the kind of early notice that that might have provided on the pandemic, which has been such a huge economic and uh, tragic impact uh, in this country over that period of time. So not investing in that kind of international capacity does have domestic implications. And I would think that we're going to have two debates in this election. One will be in English, the other will be in French, and um, they will be perhaps 90 minutes long. But the challenge, of course, is how much of that will be spent on foreign policy. And I think what we need to do is see a context in which uh, independent media organizations, uh, people who are involved uh, because they care about issues, begin to put together debates where the parties are invited to come and talk about foreign policy and defense policy. If you look at British elections, if you look at American elections, there's not two debates. There's a whole series of debates yeah. sponsored by various not-for-profit organizations to encourage Americans to find out about how their political leaders feel about critical foreign and defense policy issues. We do not have enough of that, and we should have more, and we need more. Now, what's going on in Afghanistan right now, it's all the talk of the country at this moment, but I... Correct me if I'm wrong, Hugh. I don't think this is the kind of thing that will change uh, Canadian thinking to, you know what, we need to bolster our defense forces, we need to change the way we operate, we need to do all these sorts of things. I think this will fade away, sadly. Um, well, yeah, let me disagree. Uh, one, uh, I think you're gen- generically correct. Yeah. However, I would expect that when a new parliament is elected... Uh, whoever happens to be uh, the prime minister, uh, there will be a desire on the part of parliamentarians to do a full review and series of hearings as to why the evacuation effort on the part of Canada was so minimal and why it achieved so little and what planning was done. And that may provide an opportunity for a broader discussion for the country and the media about what should or should not have happened. And that may be constructive in terms of making the right decisions going forward. Interesting. Yeah. But don't you think there's just a natural aversion among Canadians to being uh, more of a military force? And I, I think we recognize the value in it, but we do rely on the U.S. And I don't know, am I wrong in thinking that your average Canadian isn't somebody who's going to be happy with our government spending on military to the level that the United States does, for example? Well, I don't think uh, there, there's, there, there's almost no countries in the world who spend at the American yeah. level. Uh, but even if we spent at the level of our British allies or at the level of our French allies, we'd be spending about twice as much as what we're now spending. We now spend uh, less than, think about this, of our gross domestic product, 2%. Other countries spend 10% or 15%. If we merely spent 3%, that would almost double our capacity to deploy for humanitarian and other purposes. And let's be clear, in the last few months, we've seen Canadian forces deployed to help fight fires. We've seen them deployed to go into nursing homes during the worst part of the pandemic to do work that couldn't be done. We have deployed them to places like Haiti when there were needs for humanitarian support. So I think Canadians do believe that Canada, as a, um, as a, as a country of, of substantial economic capacity, uh, part of the G8, should be able 
to do that when necessary. And the notion that we can't, I think, would bother Canadians. And I think a proper debate during a campaign on this issue would bring that to light. So I don't underestimate Canadians' concern for the larger world. I think like any country, we worry about our own circumstance first, and that's perfectly uh, understandable. But I really do believe that the world is shrinking, and the threats from the authoritarian countries, like China, like Russia, like Iran, are growing dynamically. And I think Canadians worry about that and what that means for their kids' future, for markets, for the ability to Canadians to move around the world, for the protection of freedom and democracy. So I'm, I'm optimistic that that mindset that you referred to, which I think you're quite accurate about, can change. And, and, and this week's events, you think, could crystallize that and would, would sort of push it to the forefront, at least for this campaign, make it a, a yes, talking point, at because, least. Because it's about human beings. Yes, right? yeah. This is not some abstract notion. This is about human beings waiting in a sewage disc ditch to try to get into an airport, waving their Canadian papers, and not getting anybody to respond. That's something I think every Canadian can understand and identify with. Great discussion, Hugh. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. All the very best. Thank you. That is Hugh Siegel, who is the Matthews Fellow in Global Public Policy at Queen's University School of Policy Studies and a Senior Advisor at Aird Burles LLP.